All right. Can everyone see me and hear me? Yeah? Good. Okay, uh, let me, I'm gonna share my screen soon and I've got two screens and so we'll see how all that works. But uh, before I do, as always, I uh, wanted to say thank you for the invite. I always feel like I'm coming home when I meet with you saints there, which is great. I'm in my bedroom office up here. I sometimes, like I'm still working at U of T, so uh, working from home has been okay for me at my age. Uh, I can go for a nap if I want right there. And if you notice on the wall there, I have a, a painting that was done by a artist who used to go to our assembly, Ben Phillips, and uh, it's called Happy Face. So it's kind of in keeping with our theme today of joy in the Advent season. Uh, today's message I've entitled uh, Personal Change. That's where I want to get to at the end, ourselves and change, obviously change for the better, and uh, the Christmas story revisited. And so this morning we'll be reading from the Christmas story uh, in Matthew's Gospel. So let's see if this is going to work. So share my screen, try that. Uh, I'm going to share this one. Here we go. It's this one here. Share that. And then if I do this. Okay. So how are we doing there? Can you see the big screen there? Personal change? Or good. And you're not seeing all my fancy notes with my scribbling on, right? Okay. Right. We, do sure. see your, we do see your pencils. Okay. A little, little screen that has colored pencils. Okay. All right. So let me see if I can just get rid of that. Then. Okay. Um, right there, right. This one there, get rid of that. I don't need that. Let's try again. How about that? Good. Perfect. All right. So we'll be reading. Um, we've already done some some reading in the communion service, but let's let let's read again. And I'll uh, I'll read read aloud. And uh, this morning we're we're reading from the King James Authorized Version. It's just it's a very traditional, well known story, and I guess most of us first learned it or heard it in the authorized version, and I think it sounds very good in that. I think the cadence and rhythm are good. So Matthew uh, 2, starting at the beginning. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. When here the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod when he had privily called the wise men, 
inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So that's, that's the text for this morning. It's a, clearly, it, it's, it's a narrative. Um, I'm sure all of us have heard it or read it. For me, I think it's my favorite part of the Christmas story. It's just, it's just a fantabulous image of what is described here by Matthew. It's not something that the apostles seem to refer to at all. Not really. It's not something that you get necessarily in the book of the Revelation, though maybe in a, in a poetic way you do get that. There's lots of symbolism up. I believe in this text, lots of imagery of the nations coming as they will in the end uh, to the great king. So as we read it, just want us to refresh our minds about the wonder of the story as we've already been thinking about of the miracles that occur in the story. Uh, Just what kind of a moment it was as part of the incarnation. It's kind of, I don't know, it's more than a dessert. It's more than a topping. It's, it's just, it is fantabulous is the only words I can use to describe it. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did, just simply rereading it. Of course, this is kind of the imagery we have, at least in our culture, of these three wise men, I guess And as we know, it doesn't say how many there were. What if there were 30? That would be wonderful. Or or a thousand. But I guess there's not that many wise men there in the East. But we get this image of them on camels. Well, they had to get get to Jerusalem somehow. And with their special, we see them as kings. So this is, so where does this image come from? Well, um, if we look into the Old Testament, there are lots of images of things like this. Here's the prophet Isaiah speaking, obviously, about the future. Will, nations are coming, kings are coming to the light. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels. 
they'll come from Sheba, from Midian, and Ephah, bearing gold and incense, proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So I would think this is a pretty, pretty uh, clear that at least in part, this was fulfilled when Jesus came into the world, God in the flesh. That's in Isaiah. And also you get this idea, though, though it was different in the sense that, that the Queen of Sheba uh, was coming to a grown man and she was coming to test his mettle to see whether he really was as brilliant and as great as people had claimed he was. But it's the same idea. She came from Sheba. She came to Jerusalem. She came with a lot of people. She came on with camels and she was bearing the things that you bring to a king. Spices, which clearly in that culture were extremely valuable and uh, given to people of worth and gold, which retains, of course, its value. And, and of course, the precious stones. Uh, and we have this, this idea about the gifts, the wise men and the gifts. Um, and again, um, another image of this same idea, this, this time from Psalm 72, the kings of Sheba and Sebel will present him gifts, bring tribute, kings, and they bow down. So this is the idea that these folks who came were kingly, they were of a royal heritage, they were, they were, great, they were great men in many, many regards. And whenever I read this story, I can't help but thinking about this book, which I think was first introduced uh, to me by the Wilkes family. I think that's right. Uh, it is the best Christmas story, modern one you're ever going to read. It was written by Barbara Robinson, the late Barbara. Uh, she died in 2013. She wrote a few other books and some plays. Um, in the book, you've got to read it. I, we had a little tradition in our family um, over the Christmas holidays when we were, all, we were all there. I promised that we could, if you sat down and, re and read with me through this book, we would have a little break after each chapter and, and uh, chug a little bit of Coke. That was, that was the thing that sort of got the kids around the table. But just the image in this particular story of the of the people who were the kings and coming to the baby and bearing the gifts that I'll, I'll, I'll leave the mystery or the wonder of it to you. If you read the book, it is just, it's delightful and it has a real message. Something about we've already sort of alluded to in the announcements that Paul made just wanted just wanted to observe this as an air to form and it, it's you could read it in a poetic way or with a lot of imagery but it is history um matthew wants to make sure of that he mentions the place he mentions who was king at the time herod being the roman kind of emissary who was there and was ruling over that part of the empire and uh the place that they went. So this is just specific geography and specific uh, period in time. And from this, 
historians have been able to find out really in terms of our dating system when Jesus was actually born. And this is the big idea of this particular story. Um, these wise men, these magi, uh, and they came from the East. So we don't really know who they were. They were obviously uh, important. They had status. They were intelligent. Perhaps they were astronomers, or as they called it back then, maybe astrology. They knew about the stars and the heavenly bodies and the planets and the moon and they somehow discerned that a new king was born. How they did, we don't know. And they came from the East. They came from the Orient. Probably they came from Persia, from present-day Iran or Iraq. And so that's a fair distance. And as I say, they, they had a burning mission. They came all this way, and they had one particular mission. And they felt this was important enough. And as we've already read in, in the ancient world, in that part of the world in particular, when there was a new king, people would come and pay tribute. Now, how they knew that Jesus was the king of the Jews, we don't know. Um, I went recently to the inauguration of our current president at the University of Toronto, Merrick Gertler. He's a geographer. And I went there. And it was, it was stunning how many uh, other presidents and professors came from all over North America. They all came. It's part of the tradition, I guess, in our uh, institutions of higher learning. They came from all over the place. And this is just a little tidbit for you because maybe some of you know that in the assembly tradition, I guess, since what you may know of or, or, or what I know of, uh, higher education was not in particularly uh, uh, valued. It was maybe you get overwhelmed and you learn all kinds of modern and postmodern ideas and liberal thinking about the Bible and so forth. And so people in, in the Brethren movement, at least in my experience, were not necessarily encouraged to, to go on to such worldly endeavors. But I, I was stunned as I looked at the huge audience and I saw there three men, three men. Um, they had all come from one assembly actually in Toronto. They were all about my age, maybe. They had all been associated with one assembly and then one just just down the road. So I really thought that was marvelous in a certain sense. One fellow was the president of the University of Manitoba. One person was the president of Victoria College, which Victoria uh, University, which is a university within our university. And one fellow was the acting president from Wycliffe College, where Alan Wilkes spent his undergraduate years. All of them came from one or one and a half small assemblies in the city of Toronto. And here's the, here's the for me, this is the most uh, interesting part of the story. They, 
they were intelligent, they were special people, they, they somehow discerned that a king had been born, and they saw the star. And I believe it means here, they saw it when they started the journey. Not, not that it was in the eastern, eastern part of the sky, but rather where they came from. Something in the heavens were special for them. They, they connected it with the birth of a king. And somehow they got the bearings and they started off on their journey. And they wanted to worship him, which is quite something because these are Gentiles and they're coming to worship a Jewish king. That was not something, I guess, that, you know, the Jews were quite separate from the um, Gentiles and they hadn't really had a king for a long time. They really didn't, didn't have a king uh, since the uh, captivity in Babylon. So the stars, I, I just get excited about stars. <laughs> I always have. I, I don't know why it is. Uh, by providence, my dad bought me a telescope uh, when I was in 10th grade. And uh, I can't explain to you the joy of first pointing it up into the sky and seeing the planet Saturn. I had no idea what I was doing. It was cold. It wasn't a great scope. But if you go outside, maybe maybe Kemper Coin is not a bad place to look at the stars. And if you're if you're able to count them, there's about six thousand stars kind of all around. And you can actually see with our human eye about 3,000 of them, which is a lot. Uh, and then, of course, if you are in a really, really dark place, you can see this band of light, which is looking at the, the uh, millions, billions of stars in our galaxy. We're, we're part of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, by the way, the best viewing I've ever seen of stars is in the province of Saskatchewan. That's where my mom was born and raised, and I spent some time there in my high school years uh, working on my cousin's farm. And being a flat land, like the center of your country and ours, uh, the wheat-growing areas, uh, you can see a perfect hemisphere. There's no mountains. There's very few trees. You just see a hemisphere <laughs> above you, and it is absolutely spectacular. And then you can see this huge band, which is the Milky Way. That's what they call it, stars. Uh, there's, there, is, there is about 200 billion stars in our particular galaxy. And, and if you were to able to look at our galaxy, it kind of looks like this. It, it's a spiral type galaxy and then over the over the years we have discovered that there's lots of galaxies out there and that you can if you have a really powerful telescope you could see them and it recently we we thought well how many galaxies are there well there's about 200 billion of them the same number as stars in a galaxy is the number of galaxies and then recently they said no 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 we're off by a factor of 10 
So there's two trillion galaxies to the current estimation of the uh, size of our universe. And that's our God. He, he made the stars. He put them there. We found out that um, most stars have planets on them. So in our galaxy, there might be 100 billion planets out there. And they're interesting too. We, of course, have our own planets, five of which you can see in the evening sky. You can see Mercury if you, if you, if you can see the horizon and it's a clear day and, and the sun is just setting, or better still, just before the sun rises, it is really close to the horizon. And, that's this, and you can see Venus, which is really, really bright. It also is not too far from the sun. So if the sun goes down, Venus is soon following it. And then you can see these other planets that seem to wander around in the night sky. Saturn, which is the one I just just serendipitously uh, saw rings of Saturn the first time, and it was and my hands were freezing and my head was freezing, and but I was able to see it. And then you can see Mars, which is see that visibly, which is red. You can clearly, obviously, see our Moon, and you can also see Jupiter. Jupiter is pretty bright. It's, it's the second brightest thing in the sky next to Venus and, of course, the moon. So we'll come back to that. This is, the, this is their purpose, worship. It is, it's not something that's part necessarily of our culture where we go and we, we worship a person. We do have our, our celebrities. Um, it's been pointed out to me. I mean, if you go to a library, you find out what interests or idols, let's say, that we have in Western culture. And um, I think if you go into the library and, and look at the most volume of books in your local library, I could be wrong, but uh, celebrities are way up there. You know, Sammy Davis Jr. or Frank Sinatra biographies, autobiographies, People Magazine is extremely popular. Uh, we tend to worship celebrities as a culture. And maybe number two would be self-help books. People wanting to improve themselves, to change, to get better. And there's lots of books on that in different gurus. Celebrities and self-help. Look at those two sections. And then to help my brother-in-law, Alan, look at the math Look at the math section that these, or the astronomy section <laughs> that these wise men would have actually been interested in. And we meet another character in our story who's Herod. Uh, he hears the news through them and he's troubled. This is not good for him. This is a rival who is, if anything, it is going to be messing things up for him. Because the Jews are, he knows that in their culture, they are awaiting their Messiah. And all of a sudden, maybe he's on the scene. And by all Jerusalem, I assume it would be the leaders of Jerusalem. I think the, the rank and file, the, the unwashed masses, I'm sure that they would be quite excited if they knew that the Messiah was born. 
this is a statue of Herod. He was a Roman chap. He was born in about 70 BC and he died maybe between one and four, what, what, what we would call AD. And as we, if you read on further in this story, you find out what kind of a man he was. He didn't like any rivals and he was willing to massacre, massacre millions, sorry, not millions, but thousands of babies under the age of two. He, he did his calculation maybe as to when the star was first seen and he just wanted to make sure that he could kill the king by killing everybody. That's the kind of man he was. It's terrible. There is a lot of evil in our world. There always has been. And Herod is a representative of one particular man who was so ruthless, sought power so much that he was willing to kill uh, babies who would have been clearly um, a huge part of young families. And so he gets his own gurus to find out. Remember, he's interested now in finding this child so he can kill him. So he wants to know uh, where. Where, where is the Messiah supposed to come from? And these, these Bible scholars, uh, they're pretty good. They knew based on this particular uh, scripture, it was Bethlehem of Judea. There are actually two Bethlehems, so the scripture is specific. It's the one closer to Jerusalem. It's not the one, there is one up by Nazareth, and some people think that that's the place that Jesus was born, but most of the scholars would say that, no, he actually was born in Bethlehem of Judah. And this, is, and this is the prophecy from the book of Micah. So Bethlehem of Judah, that's where the king was supposed to come from. And he, his plan was that he, that he would be the king, that, that he would be received by his people. And of course he wasn't. So Herod, now he, he finds out where, he wants to know when, he wants to determine perhaps the age of the child. When did you first see the star? And he calls them in private, and because he's king, they come, and he says, go and search, and of course, he says he wants to worship him. It reminds me of the story of the blind man who was healed by Jesus, and he kind of naively asks the, the oppressors, do you, do you, I mean, you're interested in finding Jesus. Do you also want to become his disciples? Uh, There's no way that Herod wanted to worship Jesus. And so these wise men, um, they leave the king and, and they hook onto the star again which they saw in the east, and they saw that it was, an, in some sense, pointing to the direction <clears throat> where the king was, where the young child was. And, and again, some scholars would think maybe that, that, that this happened sometime after the birth, because it refers to a young child rather than, rather than a baby. 
Um, if you are an astronomer and you're around in a few days and it is a clear evening, you can look in the southwest and you'll see something that hasn't happened in 400 years. So the astronomers are really excited about this because one thing the astronomers are always interested in is when the planets, which tend to roam around relative to the stars in the sky, from our perspective, sometimes they cross each other. You know, like moving ships like, like this. And that's called a, a conjunction. When they kind of get the closest to each other, that's a conjunction. So there's three planets that kind of do this. And this next week, this thing is going to be where two planets actually get close. They actually overlap each other, which, as I say, only happens rarely. And... I don't know about a star being born just for Jesus, but it, it would be likely that this kind of thing would have attracted the astronomers as being extremely special. Once in 400 years, planets come together. And anyway, I'm just putting it out there. Um, you can see it in your own, your own sky, something maybe similar to what they saw. Two planets and if, if you go out now, you'll see them coming closer and closer. And then they finally, they finally cross over. And it's, it's a rare event in the, in the, if you observe the stars and the planets. So, so they see this thing and they're just, they're stunned. They are full of joy. They're seeing it. Their mission is completed. They know where they're going. And they come and this is the story of, they find the house, they find the child, and they do indeed worship him. They bow down, they go at his feet, and they give him these, these gifts, gold, and these other two things that are basically resins from trees, different trees that have to be extracted, and they're used in a medicinal sense or just because they smell really, really great. And then there's another miracle that happens. God speaks to them the God of the nations, not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, speaks to them just like he was going to speak to Joseph and say, get out of there as fast as you can. Um, he spoke to the men in a dream that they should not go back to Herod. They should not tell him. And so they go back, changed. And that's, this is my little thought of the wonder of this whole thing. Um, when they went away, they went back a different way. And I'm, I'm just going to ask you whether or not in your long life of following the Lord Jesus, because I assume most of you are followers of him. If you're not, you should. You should be like the wise men. <laughs> You'll be thrilled to come to Christ. Um, I'm just wondering about your own change, your behavioral change after hearing a message, after praying with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, we're supposed to grow in grace. You know, if any man is in Jesus, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. But if you talk to counselors or Christian ones, they'll tell you, in fact, what happens with most people in our 
culture is when people do come to Christ, there is a change. They do change their behavior. And then after a very short time, maybe a year or two, their behavior just kind of levels out. And that person is the same in terms of how, how gracious are people? How loving are people? How kind am I? How patient am I? Um, all of those things that you read about as the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to leave you with that little conundrum. Uh, I find it staggering that most of us have leveled off. We're not growing. We're the same old person that we were with our same good habits and bad habits. And we're not working on the bad ones. Only if we get into deep, deep trouble with the law, we might have to work on our bad habits. But how many of us have, have tried to, with the help of the Spirit, change? It's not easy. Going to a counselor is quite helpful. Sometimes that's what it takes. Um, I'm just wanting to, to leave us with the encouragement that if we have come to the Lord Jesus afresh, this is one element, I think, at least to inspire us to be like him and to be like him in his mission. When he left the earth, he said, Father, make them one. I'm really disappointed with the church, how it's dealt with COVID in the sense that it, that it's, that it divides people. Some people are really upset about the government overreach. Some people are really upset because others are not protecting themselves with what authorities are asking us to do. And it's, and it's in the church and the world's watching. I've been really upset with that. We're to grow in grace. And he said, Lord, Father, in the same way that you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself for putting yourself in a really vulnerable place to do with disease, certainly to do with coming into a time when there was a tyrant who was willing to kill everybody, even babies, especially babies. And Spirit, we pray that as you are in us, that you are the one who is to transform us into being new creatures that you dwell within us, you convict us, uh, that you would give our will some strength, give our heads a shake, that like the wise men, that, that we would be changed. We would go away different and that people would notice it. Our neighbors would notice it. Our spouses would notice it. And Father, I just know for myself how poor I've, job I've done, and I just know how hard it is actually to do this, to make it a priority. Thank you for the saints at Tell Road. 
Thank you for the saints where I worship a Trinity grace. We need each other. Thank you for putting us in this church, this local assembly, as, as a crucible, but also as a place of great consolation and comfort. Amen. Thank you very much.